I love singing with those men. I appreciate the fact that they allow me to. What most of you uh, may not realize is that the majority of the songs that we sing are actually arranged by Russ Hughes. And uh, he's much more than just conducting our men. We are continuing our study in Nehemiah. We are in the fourth chapter. We are going to begin with verse 15. Last week we looked at the first 14 verses. And we looked at the tactics of the enemy, which um, had to do with uh, psychological warfare. In other words, Satan wants to discourage us and even our purpose for being here. Today, we're going to look at some steps that Nehemiah took in defense of not only psychological warfare, but also physical threat to the people of God. So would you please stand as we read from Nehemiah chapter 4, starting with verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Let me just say, what did God frustrate? The enemy's plan to destroy them. From that day on, half my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were working on the wall. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had their sword strapped to their at their side while they built the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. We are separated on the wall far from one another in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work. Half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Let's always remember that the power resides in God's word. Thank you, and you may be seated. I'm sure that there were some left-handers who had their swords in their dominant hand. Have you ever felt surrounded to the point where you felt helpless, that there was no escape, that the opposition was simply too great? You know, as Christ followers, we know that God has called us to be Christ-like in our living, in the way that we think, in our priorities, and in our speech. We are to love the Lord our God with our whole being. 
And God has given us a mission. And we know that that is to make disciples. That is, more Christ followers who are in love with Christ. And both in our living and in our mission, there will be obstacles. And there will be opposition. So, the question is, how do we view those obstacles and oppositions? Do we look at them as insurmountable barriers to live the Christ-like life or to accomplish our mission as individuals and churches? Or should we look at them as hurdles challenging us to jump? Some of us remember those days when we could jump. Now we just go around the hurdles. But we keep going, don't we? You see, in his project, he was to build a wall. He was faced with all kinds of opposition, but he didn't quit. He saw them as hurdles to jump over and to plow through. Now, he also knew this, friends, that the building of the wall was not his primary objective It was the primary task at hand, but his objective was for the people of God to become the people of God. They had forgotten what it meant to be the people of God. So let's don't make physical barriers the real issue of this whole series in Nehemiah. It's really about, are we going to be what God has called us to be? This wall was not so much to keep others out as it was to control the values, the information, and the images that come into the city of God. In contemporary terms, we do not build walls around our churches or our lives to isolate ourselves from the world. Jesus addressed that. But we are to put up barriers to keep out that which would destroy the reputation of Christ in the church and in our lives. We are to keep out those values and those cultural pressures that are clearly in opposition to the teaching of Scripture, especially the things that we hear from Christ We are to watch out for those things which will destroy our hearts, our priorities, our families. I believe that many who call themselves Christians and perhaps even leaders in some organizations that call themselves Christians have forgotten what we are called to be as the church. We are the bride of Christ, and he is to make us holy. We are the body of Christ. We are to exemplify and do his service here. There's all kinds of metaphors that you have heard about who we are to be as a church. So we need to ask, are we simply a social club? Or are we a civic organization? These are good in and of themselves, but is that what the church is to relegate itself to be? Are we religious groups living by traditions and rituals 
and rules and laws for the sake of those traditions, rituals, rules and laws. Or perhaps are we a group of sincere, loving people who want to feel good about accepting everyone, no matter what their doctrine is or their lifestyles or their behaviors? Are we simply a religious entertainment center where we gather as many people as we can to get them to make as many decisions as they can without the knowledge of who Christ is and who we are? Have we become religious organizations by which we define ourselves by the number of people or money or projects or buildings? Do we even remember what God has called us to be at all? Have we been so influenced by our culture, which was what was happening to the people of God there during Nehemiah, And by social norms, that we are quite comfortable being accepted by a culture that accepts all beliefs, all ethics as a sign of God's love for others. Is that what we have become? And listen, it doesn't matter in what culture the church may be. It could be in Africa, it could be in Asia, it could be in Europe, it could be here in the States or South America. The true church will always face opposition because God's kingdom is not made up of the norms or the value systems of any society or group of people. We all have sinned, no matter what our ethnicity or our culture or our country. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. By nature, we are sinners. And we need God's revelation of who he is through Christ and what it means to be Christ followers. And what does it mean to be a church? We are not perfect. We're not going to be. We're not infallible. We're not going to be in this world. We are a work in process. And God is not through with us yet. But he still called us to be something specific. The steps that Nehemiah took in overcoming the roadblocks that he faced, they're recorded here. And Jerusalem was surrounded by enemies from the north, south, east, and west. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed. No matter where we turn, there's always opposition. Last week, we looked at the psychological warfare. And that by the time we got to verse 14, how the enemy had decided that they were going to physically harm them. But between 14 and 15, there seems to be a lull in those uh, antagonistic uh, relationships and drums for war. And so they have gotten back to work. There are several things that we can see in these verses The first I've already talked about, and it's already been in the first three chapters, and that is there will always be opposition. Nehemiah was God's servant. 
He had a job to do, but his job wasn't the wall. His job was to bring revival to the people. Jerusalem is not just any city. It's the city of God. The very first philosophy of history book was written by St. Augustine, and it was called The City of God. And it's how he contrasts men's empires to God's kingdom. And it doesn't matter, according to St. Augustine, and we see it in both the Old and New Testament, that none of us, no matter how pure our motives are, can establish the kingdom of God and put the word nation on it. It is something that God does among his people, no matter in what nation they live. There will always be battles with the enemy who hates Christ and wants to tear down his work. And we know who that enemy is singular. It is not flesh and blood. We do not fight. Listen, I want you to hear me. Because in some of our churches, we want to take all militaristic terminology out, but it's because they misunderstand what these terms mean. They think it's unloving. Someone come into your house and attack your children. Tell me how loving it is for them to have your children. You will fight. So listen. We do not fight against flesh and blood. Therefore, we do not use weapons of flesh and blood. The spiritual warfare is not in what we arm ourselves or even how we vote. It is in prayer and it's in obedience to the Lord. Many times in our lives we find ourselves in great distress. We ask God to remove those because it's painful. Sometimes it is the work of Satan who wants to destroy our lives and our family. Therefore, we need a sword. But then there are other times that are painful when God is actually causing those obstacles and opposition in order to refine us and to purify us and to make us more like Christ. You might say, Neil, how can we tell the difference? Every one of you have your own struggles, and I cannot answer that. But I do know two things. God will not forsake us, and he will fight for us. Sometimes these things are tools for our spiritual growth. Throughout history, we see over and over again, the church gets stronger, deeper, and multiplies faster under persecution than it does when society openly accepts it. In fact, the church gets weaker the more it is accepted because we begin to accept the cultural norms and values instead of staying true to God's norms and values. Church, we need to be careful. We need to be on guard. 
when there is peace and harmony and God is moving among us, and we see that in our church, not to get lazy, not to get satisfied, and not get comfortable with the peace. It is God who causes these things, and we rely on Him through troubles, trials, tribulations, and peace. We don't want to covet the peace where it becomes an idol in and of itself. In most of the words, the prevailing culture opposes the values found in Christ and the cross. You see, they simply want Jesus to be something other than who he is. And if we'll just agree that he's a good prophet or a good teacher or a moral example, we can get along with anybody and everybody. But that isn't who Jesus claimed to be. And that isn't the reason he was killed by the opposition. They killed him because they accused him of blasphemy for equating himself with God. And here we stand. If you don't believe the culture is against the values of Scripture, just mention the word family or marriage. You will find out just what this culture thinks about marriage and family. And I want you to know that storm is brewing among evangelicals. In a few chapters, we're going to read where Nehemiah had Ezra to read the Word of God. And what we're going to see is that there was so much conviction in their own hearts because they had drifted away from their identity. Have we not become so comfortable with the sin around us and in the sin in our homes and the sin in our lives that we have very little conviction? Perhaps it's because we're not reading what God says about these things. So Nehemiah urged them to watch and to pray. Now, if I didn't address leadership in Nehemiah, I would uh, have not addressed something that's important. There are so many books written on leadership using the book of Nehemiah. And believe me, this book is a gold mine on the principles of godly leadership. But if we go over to the New Testament, we need to see how God has, by the Holy Spirit, designed church leadership. There are gifts of the Spirit, and one of those spiritual gifts is leadership and administration. And I want you to know that I do not have that spiritual gift. And I would not say, and some of you think, you think Neil, you're just kind of, you know, making yourself look bad. No. Listen, you know what I love? I love being honest about who I am so that I can be honest about who you are and I can be honest about who God is. This is not defaming myself. This is not putting myself. This is transparency from the pulpit. And we all need to be transparent 
about who we are. I don't have a spiritual gift of leadership. When I first came here, these 18 to 20 people who called me, nearly every one of them had been a leader in their own right, in their own area. I went before God and I said, God, I cannot outlead these people. And you know what? It was just like a conversation between me and him. This is not written down, but this is just the truth. God said, well, then don't try. Why don't you serve them? Just serve them. I am so grateful that God has placed the gifts of the Spirit in our church. Some of of us have the gift of administration. He was a leader. He knew how to organize. He knew how to delegate. He knew how to motivate. He makes a wall. Divided into uh, 40 to 42 different sections, he organizes the people to work adjacent to where they live. These heads of households and the workers wanted that wall strong because their lives depended on what they did near their house. Do we heads of households see that for our own homes? Do you realize in the space of seven weeks that he organized the people to construct a wall that's a mile long, four or five feet wide at the top, nine to ten feet wide at the bottom, and 15 to 20 feet high in seven weeks. But there was a threat of war. Half of them were building, half of them were standing guard. The enemy had threatened to come into their bedrooms and slit their throats. So there was a guard 24-7. With one hand, they carried stones, laid stones, built a wall, while in the other hand, they had a sword. Did you know that there is a magazine named Sword and Trial? Do you know who started that magazine? In 1859, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Do you know where he got the imagery from? From Nehemiah chapter 4. It's still published at the Metropolitan Tabernacle where he preached. The pastor is its editor. In verse 23, Nehemiah writes, Neither I nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept the weapon in his right hand. They were prepared because they understood the nature of the enemy. He even had a trumpeter to stay near him because in that mile-long wall, you didn't know where the enemy was going to attack. So the trumpeter stayed near Nehemiah, He went to where the enemy would be attacking and he had the trumpet to blow. Everyone was to leave their area and to go fight for the homes of someone else. The magazine deals, among other things, with the cultural, spiritual war. He's been doing it since, it's been there since 1859. And the culture war isn't over. 
In 2015, there was an article written, and you will understand this, Slogans Defeat Reason and Bedrock Culture of Marriage. Well, you can already tell what the, art, what the, uh, the theme and the topic is going to be about. But basically, he is saying in this article that there are values and cultures that are outside the church and there are values and cultures that are supposed to be in the church. Now, do you remember what Paul said, what our attitude toward those outside the church is supposed to be? Lovingly non-judgmental. But then in the same chapter, he said, but within God's church, judgment begins at the house of God. We do not impose godly values on anyone out there. But God challenges and even demands that those values be among his people. In this article... The writer says, in October 6, 2014, the Supreme Court declined to hear a variety of state appeals on the nature of marriage. Thus, the lower court's ruling stood. And the writer says, I believe this creates a tipping point. And he's right. In American public discourse. The silencing of any privileged voice that biblical belief once had in our public square is just about complete. You see, if the definition of marriage can be changed to mean one thing different, then it can be changed to mean anything Some relationships we cannot even imagine will one day be constituted as marriage. So in our church and our homes, we are both to pick up the trowel to build godliness and Christ-likeness in our lives and in the lives of our families, while on the other hand, carry a sword to defend the values that God has placed within her walls, against those that would destroy our families. We started off with verse 15, very important verse. When our enemies had heard that it was known to us, that is, that their threats were known to us, and that they had, uh, uh, and that they made certain uh, preparations toward it, and that God had frustrated their plans, we return to the wall, each to his work. You know, there's a lot of how-to books out there, how to do this, how to do that. Um, if I need to fix something on my car, I don't even go to YouTube on how-to. I just call Russ Cahoe. There's a lot of how-tos. But what strikes me in this chapter 
are these two major verses. 15. God revealed and frustrated the plans of the enemy. Folks, God is at work even outside the church for him to accomplish his will for God's people. The opposition always seeks to distract us and discourage us. That's what Satan does. But I want you to think of it. It says, and they went back to work. They were in fear of their lives when they heard what the enemy wanted to do with them. But when God frustrated their plans and made it known to the God, uh, to the people of God, what the enemy of God wanted to do, they were so joyful to know that God had intervened that they simply went back to work. They moved from fear to faith. They had every right to fear their opponents, but they had a greater privilege of trusting God no matter how dangerous the opponent was. You know, we can read from Genesis to Revelation and look at all the bad stuff, but what I read is that how God does battle for his people both in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel and in the New Testament for those who are Christ's followers and his church. Did you notice in verse 20, God will fight for us? A while ago we talked about Nehemiah's leadership and organization, delegation, strategy, he did everything that he was supposed to do, but ultimately the fight is the Lord's. We see that in the Old and the New Testament. Just this past week at Set Free, we were in Philippians chapter 2, and I read one, ver one part of the verse that said, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this doesn't mean that we work out our personal salvation. Uh, the word you is plural. And it means y'all. <laughs> or if you're from North Carolina, Ewans. It means you all. You see, we have a responsibility as a congregation and God's people to work out the difficulties of us becoming the people of God together. Because the enemy is not sitting in this pew. But I love the following phrase after working out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. It is a false dichotomy to put, does God do the work or do we do the work? Listen, God gives us grace. He gives us the desire. He changes our hearts. He changes our minds. We want to do what God wants us to do. And then he gives us the strength to do it. We really have to be rebellious not to do it. And then that tells us that there's a heart issue, doesn't it? You know, when Hudson Taylor was on his way to China, he was in a sailboat. 
And there are people who would rather all of our boats be sailboats. And the captain of the boat went to him and said, we were just off the coast of Sumatra and there was no wind and the boat was drifting toward an island that it was understood that there were cannibals there. And so Hudson Taylor said to him, well, what do you want me to do about it? And he says, well, I hear that you're a man of God and I want you to pray, pray for wind. And then Hudson Taylor said, all right, I'll do that, but I want you to set sails. And the captain said, well, my sailors will think I'm crazy because there's no wind. Hudson Taylor insisted that they set sails. Within 30 minutes, a knock at the door came. He said, please stop praying. We've got more wind than what we can deal with. So where are we when we face opposition? Well, we pray and we fight the battle on our knees. We trust God and we set sails. So are you in the midst of your battle? You've made plans. You're building up strategies. Things look good. You've consulted your friends who are godly. Y'all have even prayed together. But here's the last thing. Here's the last ingredient once you see all God's principles toward whatever you're facing. Do you trust God to be faithful when we apply these principles in our lives? That is a step of faith. The Lord will fight for us. He will not forsake us. He will not abandon us. One of my very favorite New Testament verses is Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in y'all will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. As Christ followers, do you believe that? Will you stand on that? Will you trust Him? And for those of us who are not yet and have not yet trusted Him for salvation, the way I want you to look at this is simple. Christ did everything that was necessary to be forgiven and reconciled to God, yet we are the ones who must confess our sins and turn to Him. He gives us the desire and the want to. He even gives us grace to do it. But ultimately, ultimately, we all must respond to the leadership of the Lord. God has done everything in Jesus Christ. And right now, He may be calling you to Christ. Do you believe that you can work out your own salvation, personal salvation and being reconciled to God? Or do you believe that Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith, and that He is our salvation. That's what this comes down to. Will you trust Christ in all things instead of trusting in yourself for your personal salvation? Or as a church, do we trust in ourselves? Or will we continue to look to the one who will fight for us to be who God has called us to be? Would you pray with me? Father, conflict is all around, personally, corporately, society. But in all those areas of conflict, 
You are our salvation. Help us to trust you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let us sing. The Lord is our salvation.